Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zarr. Hello, everybody. This is Chet Zarr and Mike Carell. Hey, hi, everybody. You want to do your clap all over again? No. No. <laughs> Terrible way to start it. Do one more clap. All right, fine. Three, two, one. Okay, we're in. That hurt. Hey, Chad. Hi, Mike. How's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. Good. I had a really funky day two days ago. A funky day? Yeah, I was like... I Won't just... you take me to funky town? <laughs> yeah, not like that kind of funky day. It was like a <laughs> t- exhaust, one of my exhausted days where I can't do anything and then I get all depressed because I can't do any work. I can't do anything. I remember that. I remember that. So I think I just needed a good night's sleep because the next day I was fine. And, but then last night you got a bad night's sleep. So is today like mildly funky? No, it's pretty good. Is it more like, won't you take me to the funky town? Like that? No, it's like normal. It's like, it's today. Today's kind of like the funk, regular funky town song. I'm doing pretty oh, good. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't know. It seemed like a bad night's sleep, but it must have worked somehow. Well, that's good. Yeah. How about you? You're. St- Dilly dallying on something there. <laughs> yeah, I was telling the people on the pre-roll, uh, the the Dark Art Society members on the Patreon. I was telling them about what I was doing because I am dilly dallying on something. I'm wrapping up some copper wire. I've been working on these uh, these warts like crazy because, well, because people like them. I like to do them. Um, they're powerful, and I'm all excited about all this quartz that I got because I found all this really cool uh, quartz crystal out in the desert, and I charged under that super blue blood moon. And uh, I've been using them in these creations for doing a variety of different types of wards. So far, a, a cleansing ward and an inspiration ward. So, yeah. So I'm just sitting here wire wrapping with my fingers while we chat. Cool. Yeah, it was a, a fortuitous little thing having the blood moon happen right around the time you start doing your wards. Yeah, right. Yeah, you can't probably can't see this chat. I'm not going to say what it is, but that's the little bit in the corner I was telling you about. Oh, yeah. Wow. Cool. Cool, huh? Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, I've just been doing the resource thing, going out. I had Chris Haas down. That was a blast. Artist Chris Haas. If you guys don't know who he is, who he is, who he is, you should check him out. <laughs> uh, he's an amazing sculptural artist that works with natural uh, objects, like I do, except for predominantly bones and skulls and stuff like that. Does these incredible embellishments and frames them and alters out different parts from different yeah. animals. They're amazing. So cool. H a a s. That's how you spell his last name. Like the Haas avocado. Yeah, because he's he's German, Hals. Oh. But yeah, he came down and we had a we had a really good time. Spent a spent a day together and went out and trucked around in the desert and talked cool. art and talked about the scene and yeah, good stuff. Was he excited about all this? Yeah, business? well, he didn't know he didn't really understand it, so I had to kind of tell him. And he was like, "Oh man, I got to do that. I want to be a member." And I was like, "Yeah, you should." You should do it. You, are, I mean, you know, if obviously you should be a member. So, yeah. and he was like, "Yeah, I'll do it when I get back." So he was all he was pumped about it. He thought it was really cool. We just got a new membership today, just like you know, an hour ago or something. We got another one. 
Yeah, it's really cool that it's it's moving right along and people are already ready to pool their resources so that we can really for the greater good of the dark art movement. You know, yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, so Chris had his own little, you know, mini land of enchantment tour. You know, we, went, we did five hours out in the desert, so uh, took him to some really amazing spots. And it's always fun to go and do one of those with, with someone. Cool. Sounds like fun. Wee. So, so you've just been cranking and working and cranking and working. Yeah, the usual. I'm going to have a steady sale tomorrow, but that'll be day. That'll be yesterday when this posts. Yeah. Yep. So I need some money again. So um, I got some studies going. Yeah. So, and when I make my studies, I experiment. Ah, here we go. The segue. Segue. Dark experimentation. Yeah, you know that I. Uh, now that I'm uh, making the studies uh, to sell as much as I am for preparatory things for paintings, um, sometimes I'm just making them to sell. Just little, they're like sketches more than studies in a way. Mm-hmm. But um, I approach them in a way like uh, I'm going to try different colors. I'm going to use colors I don't u- normally use. I'm going to just you know do like a Rorschach, Rorschach kind of, you know, ink blot sort of thing to get, to get some shapes going. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so I, I, that's, is that how you donned on your drippy thing? Was that an experimentation thing with the way that, you know, prepping the canvases by pouring and then like splashing the, the thinner on there and stuff like that. Was that just like an experimentation you tried and then it stuck? Yeah, I think, you know, I probably got that from Brahm. Mm. who I really want to get on the podcast because he's uh, amazing and a big influence on me. But um, I remember in his book, I forget the name of his book, but the first one I got, he had a lot of paintings that had kind of some splattery stuff in the background and underpainting show, showing through. And so, um, you know, the, 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 the painting, the raw umber background is just kind of standard, you know, to tone the canvas. So you're mm-hmm. not working on stark white, but I remembered those, uh, you know, kind of weird backgrounds he did. And so I started just splashing stuff on them and yeah, and it kind of, I, it's, it's just nice to have a texture to, underneath that shows through at times. And mm-hmm. it's part of the experimental process. Sometimes you get ideas just from having that background because it's all right. Abstract shapes. So, you know, uh, I, I, regarding being experimental, you know, it's, my art, I feel like my art is, I always try and be experimental with it. It's kind of an important part of how it develops, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, even, even Brian Smith, when we had Brian Smith on, he was even talking about how, you know, he'll do this work and then sand it down and he'll then see these shapes that came out because of the sanding process that he gets inspired by and then experiments with those shapes. And then that lends it a certain magic, you know, or intrigue. And and then it's like him following this trail. And and even that to me was a really interesting explanation of his process insofar as uh, experimentation is concerned. Yeah. Well, that's, that's one thing about, you know, the, the better I get at painting, the more it becomes, uh, like the more I plan things out. And, um, but even when you plan things out, you can still experiment, you know, you can have your basic idea planned out. You can have your basic colors planned out, but, uh, it's hard to, to stick to it, you know, stick to a schedule when you're experimenting. That's what mm-hmm. always kind of bums me out about having schedules on paintings is because, you know, sometimes you'll get an idea 
or you'll see some weird little thing that you can elaborate on at the very end of the painting or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. three quarters of the way through. And that's something that makes the painting, you know, but you, right. but, but, you know, part of what you need when you when experimenting like that is the f- uh, freedom and time, mm-hmm. you know, because that's the whole nature of ex- experimentation is that you're just screwing around basically. I mean, that's all it is. Experimentation. Just yeah, yeah. F- fucking around. Trying, trying things out. Playing. You know, yeah. it's all about well, playing. Play. And I think that right there is, it's interesting that you would say that because my word for Mysterian today when I drew my Mysterian card was play. Oh, cool. So yeah, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And so yeah, it is all about play, really. I mean, when you get right down to the base essence of it, it's not, you know, I mean, you know, fucking around, that's playing, basically, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, well, this looks like this could be fun and interesting. Why don't I try this out and see where this leads me, you know? And you're right. I mean, if you have time limitations it could impose on it but at the same time that also could help help you be more experimental i mean if you're you only have so much time to work on something and you know it's like okay well i'm going to try this because you know this is what i have the resources to do and this is what i have the time to do so i'm going to experiment with this medium you know mm-hmm. and so I mean, again, it's like, for me, it's, it's using what's around me, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, if I know that Joy has a bunch of acrylic paint in here, well, then guess what I'm going to be painting with if, I, if I'm going to, you know, be working on a canvas and applying stuff to a canvas. I'm going to use acrylic paint, you know what I right. mean? Like, that's what I'm going to use because that's what's there as opposed to going out and buying all the different things and having them. And so, you know, sometimes those limitations can also lead to greater experimentation, which can further lead you to new discoveries. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, limitations are actually kind of a good thing sometimes. But um, yeah, it's yeah, it goes both ways, though. It goes definitely oh, go, it sure. goes both sure. ways because, you know, when you have a deadline and you have to finish by a certain time and you're working with the material you never worked with, it's kind of like kind of scary. But that's sure, like sure. Christopher Ulrich, you know, when he did that, that um, I think it was the I forget the name of the series, the Chronic Chronic Crater series it was where he did all those big huge paintings his big epic show with the with the the last supper painting and all that he was on a tear and he had this idea that he was going to did we talk about it where he did the the glaze yeah we did talk about that oh on, my on God. one of his podcasts and that was truly that was experimentation with a major deadline (laughs) and it looked amazing on his paintings but one of i think at least one of them got really screwed up you know this amazing huge painting and you know that's that's the thing if uh, ideally i mean even the value of that you just got to figure you know what what's the value of that you know i mean granted it screwed up one of his paintings but he learned a good lesson you know yeah and if the rest of them looked amazing because of it then you know True. he had to sacrifice one painting right. for the greater good of the series right I mean, there's right. just different ways of looking at it of course yeah 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 so i don't know i feel I, when it comes to experimentation i i i feel like i'm i'm constantly trying to experiment with um that's it's part of what keeps it new it's part it's also uh, or keeps it fresh your your work fresh if you're experimenting and um it also helps you to find your voice you know that's really the key to finding your own voice when you're starting out is experimenting you know trying everything and you know who is a great example of someone who uh 
was experimenting and came up with something that's like his thing is uh, this painter, Carl Ingram, you know, Carl Ingram. Yeah. I, I like Carl Ingram's work a lot. Yeah. He was, he was painting kind of just not regular. It was dark and weird, but they were, you know, traditionally created. And then he started painting. He started, he got a, a fidget spinner of all things. The only good use of a fidget spinner I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> he got a fidget spinner then he put a Ouija board on top of it, I think. And then he put his, and then he put record, a record on the Ouija board, a vinyl album, you know, mm-hmm. an old vinyl album. Then he was do like a, a, a spinning, he'd spin it and pour paint on, mm-hmm. get these crazy pa- uh, patterns like mm-hmm. that. Uh, like, I don't know what it they, reminds me of when I was a kid yeah, go those, to the fair and they would do those, the spinning art, spin art, you know? spin art. Yeah. It, yeah, it, it was with the different colors and it would swirl around yeah, and yeah. kind of psychedelic thing. And then he, um, it seems, I, I haven't talked to him about this, but it seems like what he does is he takes, he'll, he'll use that abstract shape to find it like a face or an eye or something. And then he goes in and he paints it out and cool. brings focus in and they're just really amazing and totally unique they don't look like anything anybody else is doing yeah i've been i've been watching that whole series and i also find it really exciting i mean that's the thing about when someone strikes on something different it's exciting right mm-hmm. because it's, it's all it's, about you know, being done in a way that's i mean I'll, I'll give you a more minor example i you know used to have to work in these casino cash cages right and one of the things that i noticed was that the the paper the printing paper for the receipts and stuff when you would roll that stuff out it would it was um, heat heat paper and so you know you roll it out and then if you took some hand sanitizer and you kind of fingered that paper it would discolor that paper in these crazy weird shapes and blooms that were like black around the edges and doled out in the middle because it was reacting chemically to this mm-hmm. this rub, rubbing alcohol and i would sit there and take strips of those and draw out based on the shapes from my fingertips and the alcohol on those these long strips of like almost like comics of these weird monstery bubbly character things that were just you know renditions of whatever it was that my fingers had randomly and chaotically That's created cool. on this strip and they you know i mean i still have some around i've kept just because it was it was fun but it's not like you know, that's not something where I'm going to sell anything like that or that I wanted to market it, but I was just experimenting and I wanted to be creative and I was standing around and I, for me, when I draw, it helps me to think. And if I can think better, I can write better. So I was just standing there and I noticed, Hey, that's a cool shape. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take my pen. I'm, I got nothing else to do. I got all, all this time in the world, start doodling. Next thing I know, I'm taking these back and showing them to joy. And she's like, Whoa, those are really cool. Like you could adapt some of those into larger pieces right. if you want just cause it's, they, they feel inspired, you know? So yeah, experimentation. Experimentation number one. Yeah, it was it's, fun. It's a you know it's 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 also great for um, if you are are not feeling you know if you're if you're having like a block of some sort. That's like kind of the go-to thing. Aside from you know when I've the few times I've had a block, I'll look at the things I love. That usually gets me kind of inspired, but also just totally screwing around without any you know plan at all and just start throwing paint on and splattering it and turning it around and yeah, letting get your paint. hands in there too i mean for me i like that i'm like i like to touch it you know what i mean mm-hmm. like i like to touch the stuff and get it on my hands and feel like i'm in it you know like that that's again that for me that's an experimentation thing no one told me put your hands in it but it's like right. i got hands in it <laughs> you know not always but sometimes yeah <laughs> yeah 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 you just gotta try i don't know it's just like the kind of the birthplace of creativity really is 
as approaching things in an experimental nature, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, that's for me, that's where it all started. I mean, when I think back to like when I was a kid, I remember one of the first really experimental things that I did. And, and actually, I think maybe even before that, if I were to go back a step farther, I would say that I remember when I was in Cub Scouts, right? They would have these assignments where everybody in the whole group would get the same materials, like a cardboard box, four zip ties, four thumbtacks, you know, some burlap twine, a pair of scissors. And you just had these items that you everyone had to assemble into a different thing, you know? And, and I remember I always really liked that because it was like, okay, I got to come up with something out of this, you know? Mm. And everyone did. And it was exciting because everyone was experimenting. And then everyone got to show, hey, look at what we came up with out of that. And you're looking at those same materials going, wow, that's cool how they use those, you know? So I would say that for me, it started pretty young. But I remember the first time I independently did an experimental project, I had found like an old wooden pallet. And it wasn't like a big pallet. It was like maybe for like vegetables or fruit or something. Mm -hmm. And I had taken it and I had all these old cartridges like uh, shotgun cartridges and bullet cartridges because when I would go with my dad to the shooting range, I wouldn't shoot, but I would go around and collect bunches of munition cartridges. <laughs> I just thought they were so cool. Like I'd have bags full of munition cartridges. Uh-huh. So I was like, I wonder if I could take this board and use just shit from the garage, my parents' garage. I think it was like 12 and like nails and a hammer and just like hammer stuff all over the surface of this, you know, like hammer these munition shells in different color combinations and rows and patterns and, you know, add whatever I had in the garage to create this thing. And I remember the, the sensation of like, wow, I'm really making something special and different here, you know, and like, mm-hmm. this has not been done before. I've certainly never done this before. And just that, that sensation of really liking it. And now when I look at some of the stuff I've been experimenting with lately, like my Apocalyptia series, it's not a whole lot different than that. And so that kind of gets me to the ultimate point, which is like, if you're at that point where what do I experiment with, do the shit like you said that you liked as a kid you like to paint monsters as a kid so you you were gonna experiment painting monsters well when i was a kid i like to do this weird like assemblage collage relief stuff but like on wood or or canvas in more a traditional fashion so i started experimenting with it again you know and it's the most encouraging thing i've done it's the most inspired work i've done recently and so i think that again all of that bodes well for the whole notion of experimentation and the kinds of payoff that it has in store for you if you pursue it with a real open heart you know yeah well i i totally agree i mean i the way i started painting what i do now these monster portraits which are kind of still my main base of what i work from is came out of an experimental phase like when i start when i quit the industry and i've told this story before i think where i just when i first sat down in front of a blank canvas i just i drew a blank and started freaking out a little bit because I didn't know what to do because I was used to being art director for so many years. And I went through a process of experimenting with different styles and different ideas, just, you know, all kind of dark because it's what I'm into. But um, it was experimentation that led me to these this monster portrait thing. That monster, the Dunce painting, which is my first monster portrait. Such what, a great one. Oh, thanks. What was, uh, it was just one of the experiments I was doing throughout that period. And, but it started selling. So I was like, uh, oh, this is, you know, just as fun as the other one. So I'm going to sure. it's selling. So I'm going to keep going with it. But I did, I, I've got some really weird paintings early on, you know, like black nerve administrators is, is one of the experiments. If you look mm-hmm. at that, that's pretty abstract. And I did one, I, 
I did one. I gave it to Lisa called Red Girl. That's really yeah. abstract and weird. And it's very uh, like Red Riding Hood esque, and it's and it's very blotchy and impressionistic. Yeah, and it's kind of, of Bekshinsky looking a little bit. It's way way less representational than anything I do now. By but, far, yeah. And uh, I even did some straight abstract stuff i tried it it's really hard <laughs> really difficult if i i have a real it's not easy to do abstract stuff for me i'd like to see that yeah i'd have to you know it's somewhere i've got piles of old paintings up in my garage somewhere i've got some pretty good ones too i gotta pull them down but um yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's, because, fun to, it's fun to get out that old stuff. Like I had a really good time looking at your, uh, you know, when we were shooting for the documentary, getting to see all your old childhood art and stuff mm -hmm. like not all of it, but a good portion of it, some collage sketching going back to earlier years and then up into older years. Cause I keep all that kind of stuff too. And so it's fun to go back and look at it and kind of be like, Oh wow. You know, cause you kind of vaguely remember doing it. Most yeah. of us do anyway. I mean, I vaguely remember most of the things of art that I did and, you know, so it's interesting to look at it and be like, you know, who was I then, you know? Who I am I now, and what does that mean? You know, it's it's just cool. It's kind of yeah. like a time capsule. Yeah, I think I got that stuff all from my sister. My sister's like the family archivist. Thank God yeah. for that. I, I I know, and there's some things that I don't. Oh, your sister saved our ass for that documentary many times. <laughs> I mean, she got us all the footage, the old family I footage, know. converted and held the bill forever. And she's she's amazing. So yeah, if it weren't for her, that documentary would have been a third of what it was right, right. easily. Easily, but there's one thing that was not in there, and I don't know what happened. My parents had it. I don't know if it's in storage somewhere or just destroyed. But the, these, the one thing I remember drawing is a is a. I did like two or three series of Jesus Christ Superstar comics. Oh yeah, which is so, they were so funny. They were like wacky. It was totally like Life of Brian, but before that, you know, it was the idea. It was like. I took because I saw Jesus Christ Superstar in the theater. I went to see it in the theater when it came out. So I was probably like six or something, you know, I was mm -hmm. just five or something. And uh, I, I, you know, I, it was like, uh, I remember one was Jesus being hung. In one panel was Jesus being hung on a cross. And he was like yelling, ah, and no, no text or no words or anything. And so then the, the soldier, the next panel is a soldier. He hangs him by a hand and a foot, like sideways. And he's still going, ah, yelling. And so then he finally hangs him by his feet upside down. And it shows the soldier just walking away going like, you know, like, ah, forget it. You know, like, Jesus. <laughs> just walking <laughs> off and it was that was my wacky my wacky uh jesus christ superstar comic that's co funny. comic and then i had one with mary and jesus i don't remember that was but man i would love to have those i'm sure i did like three of them well and i would imagine <laughs> that even like for as a musician you could probably speak to some of the experimentation involved in in that aspect of it as well i mean you're a painter obviously and you're an artist on many levels but musicians are artists too how would how would you say that mu music and uh, and experimentation have a role in your life and in your creation being a musical man yeah well that i mean when it comes to songwriting because that was my big thing is i was always more of a songwriter than a, a player i could play well enough to play the songs I wrote. It was all the fun was the writing and for me. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's all about experimentation and just playing around and, you know, especially when I got into four track recording back in the day with my, you know, little TX four track cassette recorder, you know, it's all about just, 
screwing around. Now it's computer stuff. It's just all about screwing around with sounds and and mm-hmm. duplicating things and de- de- delays and effects. I mean, it's yeah. I think I'm sure that I started messing around on you know last year on uh, uh, Logic. I started. I haven't mm-hmm. haven't in a while, but um, yeah, and it's just it's just unbelievable it, it's it's all about experimentation for me on there it's just messing around with god you know how it is it's like all these synthesizers and there's just it's almost too much you yeah know well I mean? <laughs> I mean you're chet you know because obviously you're the one that got me on to garage band you know oh, you yeah, were leaning that's on I me. You gotta do, gotta do this garage mm-hmm. band thing and you were like you already have it on your computer i saw it there when i was out there <laughs> all the reasons it's in so the world, cool you know? it's so but cool. yeah it's like once i got on there i was like and it was funny of course it synchronized with me starting to produce emails from infinity right so here i was like gonna record a book i wrote gonna put it down and then like well i need music for it so and now chet's got me experimenting with garage band so i guess <laughs> i'm writing the score for emails from infinity because you know and so it was all funny how it synchronized but yeah it's so weird to go in there and i've you know i've always been very musically inclined but like you when i was a teenager and i was in bands i was the writer i mean i could sing and i have a voice and so i could go up there and be the lead guy and sing but it was really just by virtue of the fact i couldn't play an instrument and i could write so it was like oh he's an obvious shoe in you know <laughs> so it's like but i always had these sensations i remember as a kid going to sleep and hearing these whole songs in my head when i was in that kind of like hypnagogic state where like whole entire like songs with multiple layers and stuff and just thinking to myself god i wish i could commit this somehow to like a real thing but how are you gonna you know when i was 13 well how are you gonna do that there's no instruments but now with garage bands like you can sit down and you can move everything and drag things forward and back and like you said it's like go in and just really easily with your keyboard because i just use like my typing keyboard just go in and like kind of screw around again and experiment with different instruments how do they sound in your headphones what's a good frequency what's a good tone and do a little ditty and then try another instrument and layer it below it and do a little ditty with that one and then listen to that one at the same time and next thing you know you're writing these like songs and they're actually songs and you're yeah. like whoa i just because i was i i committed a few hours to just messing around you yeah. know yeah i i, it's really I got, fun. yeah it's great i i got into garage band for my ipad i got an ipad and it was it's so funny because it compared to the four track I used to use when I was a kid writing music. It's so great. So much more advanced than that. I mean, it's just crazy. It blew my mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then I started messing with it and then I was kind of going, I got to a point where it's like, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I couldn't do that on there. So I had to, uh, when I got finally got a Mac, I got logic on it and uh, it just kind of opened this whole new world to me. Now I haven't had time to, work on that stuff but um hopefully when i get maybe when i get my patreon going i'll it's gonna free me up to share stuff like do stuff experiment with music and post it and share it because you know remember when i was writing all that music that was great i didn't thank you but i didn't want to post it on facebook because it's kind of shitty at the same time it's just sketches yeah yeah so you're just like you have like six people that you'll text it to right exactly you know but if you have these people that you know this however many you know 300 people that are really interested in whatever it is you're doing of course you'd share it with them yeah yeah so that'd be perfect it's just kind of like you know off the off the, the subject but 
I'm just so well, kind, so, kind so, of not. I mean, the, the, here, let's be honest. The Patreon is an experiment. I mean, right. what is it that we're doing that isn't experimental, Chad? I mean, let's be honest. The Dark Art Society movement That's is true. an experiment. The Dark Art Society is an experiment. It's all an experiment, this whole thing, right? right. So it's like the Patreon, we've never done it. Do we know what we're doing? No. We're experimenting with it. We're trying. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to give it a try. It's like, had I ever made a documentary about Chet Czar? No. I just <laughs> experimented with it and I gave it a try, you know? And that's, that's the thing is that that's what it all is i mean even this you know recently this ward making thing is like you kept being like you know all of a sudden we were like why are you not making those i mean you already make them for yourself and everyone you know all the time people really might really like them why not do it you know and the thing for me about ritual art which is what i call it and obviously ritual art for me is more than just art making but it's like intending energy into a vessel while i'm creating it with my hands intuitively from mostly natural found objects. But the point of that is, is that each of those is an experiment. I mean, every yeah. single one of those, it's not like I sit down with a blueprint and I'm like, well, here's how I'll make a war. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work that way for me. It's like, I well, go, especially I with down. ritual art where you're intending, yeah. you're putting energy yeah, into like, it. You gotta be, yeah. you gotta be willing to go with the flow exactly. and follow your feeling about it. You know, it's, and it's a trip while you're doing it because you might be working on something and it might be resisting you, you know, right. and going, you're not, it's not going the way you want it to go and then all of a sudden you you know you break it because i'm working with some brittle stuff and you're like oh my god it's broken but most often it's not broken actually it's just that it had to be changed into a position to become right. what it's going to be and a lot of the time i'll have a word that i'll work on that'll sit for a bit because until i have that energy and that vibe and that intuition and that feel there's no point in even working on it it's right. just like a painting but when i sit down and everything goes the way it's supposed to go i mean they, i'll just cruise right through it and you can tell the feeling of it too at the end whether or not you know you were rolling with it and with that kind of work you have to roll with every single one it's not marketable unless it's magic. I mean, let's be honest, that's right. the whole point, you know? And so it's really an interesting process. And I remember even doing the one for Ulrich that you commissioned from me for Ulrich. You know, it was like, I struggled with that one, you know? Uh -huh. And when I came out of it, I realized that it was like, the reason I was struggling with it was because it was for him and he's struggling, you right. know what I mean? And there was some major import for me coming out of that of uh, for, you know, my intent that went into it and what I got out of it and what it might be for him, because I never know what's going to happen with those things for people. Right. They have their own, they, you know, it's a vessel. It's got its thing in it. It's filled. So, you know, it's interesting though, because sometimes it means that it's like, well, this person it may be in for a bumpy ride. Right. If this was a bumpy one to make, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it ended up perfect. That's the thing. It ended up beautiful and perfect. And I was so happy with it, but to get it there, yeah, it took me five and a half hours, right. you know, I mean, that's a long time yeah, for, yeah. to make, for work, you know, but it's, you know, nothing broke, not once, but that's how long it took of consistent work to get it to where it was experimenting as I went, you yeah, know? Yeah. Well, one thing I love about experimenting with painting is, um, you, you don't have to, when, at least the way I approach it, when I, when I have a painting, you know, when I have a study and I've got it all laid out and I know the colors and I know everything, I've done a sketch, I've done a study, I try and paint that one um, in a more disciplined way to make it, you know, correct uh, technically, you know, mm -hmm. just because I want it to be the best it can be. And so it's really about, you know, not overworking it and this and that, all these, I have these guidelines I, I lay on myself, things that are important to me about artwork or my artwork i try and hit all those um you know ring all those bells or whatever but when i when i experiment when i do the studies <clears throat> i don't I, i'm totally undisciplined you know i'm not 
thinking, oh, I got to do this first, then I got to do this because you got to do the layers this way and that way. It's more about just total freedom. And, 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 and in a way, those studies are even more fun than the painting sometimes because I... They're I'm, sometimes more alive. I mean, I would say there's sometimes more of like a sense of liveliness in mm -hmm. them. You know, not that the other ones don't look very live, but the vibe or the energy of some of your studies has a, a livelier yeah, feeling to right. it. Maybe the postures of the characters at times. Yeah, I would say I think it's, you know, more energy, more more of, a, of yeah, I guess more life because of the looseness of it because it's exactly. it's more immediate and um but it's it's you know it's six of one half a dozen of another it's you, you give up in detail and finesse and you gain in energy and life and you know it's always tricky to hit that balance but i i, I just i uh my studies are my experiments for the most part you know it's where i really just kind of say fuck it and just you know, do things. I've, you know, try new colors. Like I said before, I'm, you know, and then I end up using that in my, in my main paintings, my real paintings, you know, the big paintings, mm -hmm. I'll, I'll use that stuff I've learned through experimentation with the studies onto larger paintings, you know, it's just, well, and I've even noticed like in your Halloween horror, Halloween horror movie studies that you did to me, that was just an experiment, right? I mean, I, you were I like, know. I wonder if I can do this. I wonder if I can paint these characters and paint them accurately. Yeah. Cause how do, how do you know, unless you try, yeah, you know, yeah. you don't. So you experimented and you were like, Oh wow, I can do it. Cool. But the, but the carryover, you know, and that's the parallel, I guess, is that the carryover there into your, the rest of your work is pr profound ultimately because you're capturing these likenesses. So how could that not help you capturing the likeness of something that you hold in your mind's eye on a canvas? Right. It's no right. different. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I, when I'm doing something, I try and make it work on a bunch of levels. Like I try and make it count because my time is so precious because I'm always having to hustle for, to, to make the ends meet. So I, I, that's why I was able to justify the Halloween studies. People like mm -hmm. them. They will sell. They'll make me money. It's good practice for capturing a likeness without tracing, uh, you know, doing a portrait of someone without tracing, just kind of going by eye, which is I have trouble with. It's really hard for me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's a chance to do all these movies I love. It's a subject I love. So I, I try and make it count in multiple ways. That's how I sort of, I don't know if it's justification or whatever, <laughs> but I try and like, you know, find all these reasons. I, I try and have enough reasons to do it before I do it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I, I think about mm -hmm. it and I think, okay, well, what's, you know, sure. I'm doing I, my first impulse is I have to pay my mortgage this month. So I need to do something. And then it's like, okay, well I could do this or I could do this. Oh, let me see. I could do this. This will be more fun. This will, uh, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, you know, that's all I've been doing for the past however long, too, is like, what's going to make the most sense to do that will simultaneously be the most fun to do? I mean, really, that's the balance. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really because it's like, we have to be able to eat, we have to be able to survive. And if all we're surviving on is our artwork, well, then that's what's got to pay the bills. But also, we're not willing to sacrifice our integrity and our ethics as an individual artist and say, well, I'm just going to do this because people like it. So there has to be a happy balance balance between those yeah, two. And sure. I think for everybody, that's a different balance, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's you certainly know, for me. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. But it's a personal thing too. It's like every person has to draw that line, yep. you know, uh, it's, it's, it's yeah. Yeah. It has to, uh, sorry, my dog, the 
Did you see Dottie? Dot, the, the yeah, giant. Dottie rolled in. She's so beautiful. She's huge. Beautiful Dalmatian. No, yeah. no, no. She's not a Dalmatian. She's a she's Great not, Dane. She's a Great Dane. European God, I Great get Dane. Wrong. She, looks, she looks like a Dalmatian. Everyone anyway. thinks she's a Dalmatian. She's, beautiful. she's like a giant Dalmatian. She's a Great she's Dane with black big old slobbery face. <laughs> He's got to deal with the dog. Um, you know, one interesting thing about experimentation, you know what the word experiment tastes like to me? What does it taste like to you? Because for those of you who don't know, I have uh, ga- what's it called? Gastrosynesthesia. It's something like that. It's one of the more more rare f- forms of synesthesia. We should do it. We got to do a topic on that. I'd love to. Okay, we'll have to do that. That because is- I could even tell the story about where when I first heard that word, and because I have all kinds of interesting just <laughs> sideline stories about that whole thing. Actually. I think it applies to artwork too. I really oh, it think absolutely it does. does. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, I think it, it exists in the neurodiverse spectrum. I, it's very common in neurodiverse people right. for them to have some form of synesthesia. Anyway, That's why I think you're neurodiverse. <laughs> neurodiverse, whatever. Uh, uh, I got synesthesia where words have flavors. For and, real. Yeah, and it's really a weird lexical gustatory synesthesia is what it's called. And it's got. What does it say it again? Lexical gustatory. Lexical gustatory synesthesia. Wow, interesting. It is estimated yeah. that 0.2% of the population has this form of synesthesia. And it's, it's it says, here's, here's how they describe it on Wikipedia. It's another rare form of synesthesia. Certain tastes are experienced when hearing words. For example, the word basketball might taste like waffles. <laughs> The documentary. So for yours, yours have like a weird thing where it almost kind of like somehow makes sense to so, me every time you do it. I'm like, sometimes, oh, most of the time it does. So, sometimes. Well, I'm not saying there's a connection like even linguistically. I'm just saying most of the time for me, when you say it, there's like part of me that like feels like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's what that's what my friend Mitch used to do, the sculptor Mitch Devane. I would always tell him when I think of, because I discovered my synesthesia while I was working at Rick Baker's, like. I was 30 in my early thirties and it just dawned on me. Words have flavors for me and I've been doing this my whole life and I've never talked about it or even thought about it consciously. It was so weird. And so then I told Mitch about it and I would always tell him, Hey, I thought of a new one today. Uh, Jesus tastes like uh, nacho cheese Doritos. And he'd say, yeah, you're right. (laughs) You do that every time. (laughs) But, but for example, like that kind of Jesus, nacho cheese kind of cheese i could see that but then like you're ca- so logical though you're such a pragmatist well, you're I'm like, try, i try it has to have a logical connection well, somehow some of them don't like kathy tastes like milk you know that doesn't make any sense at all but um you know so but experiment is a, is a strong one but it's obvious what it is can you guess okay. what it tastes like experiment peppermint close spearmint Spearmint, like Wrigley okay. spearmint gum, but it's 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 definitely there's a specific flavor. That's the thing for you is it's not just like it tastes like spearmint. It's like it tastes like Wrigley spearmint <laughs> yeah, gum. Absolutely. It's a very specific thing. So yeah. we should save it for another show. That I didn't even like, think of that. That'd like be a great. The funniest one. one that I the funniest experience ever was going through driving through Albuquerque with you, and you're like. <laughs> 
You know, Albuquerque tastes like those those striped cookies, those those shortbread cookies with the stripes on them, you know, the keyboard yeah. kind. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, right, Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, good. that one we're, is We're key. driving through Albuquerque. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not like it just tastes like any old cookie. It doesn't taste like an oatmeal raisin cookie. Right, it tastes like yeah, yeah. a it's, very specific, you know, type of, of it's, cookie. It's so got to be it's what what I was eating at the time that I made the, they, my, my brain. See, there made you this are weird. being incredibly well, a, logical, and pragmatic. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason it happened. It's not just random. It's like there's got to be some kind of reason. I think it's like neurological pathways were being formed while during. I don't know because it's like names and food. It's names of people I knew when I was a little kid that I was going to school with, and food that I was eating, like junk food and stuff. Mike is taking his headphones off, looking around. What happened? My phone was ringing. I was trying to keep it from oh. inter- interrupting the podcast. I unplugged my phone. Well, I have bill collectors calling me <laughs> nonstop all day long. So well, that's even more, even more reason to unplug the phone. <laughs> Uh, anyway, 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 anyway. So I was listening, but that is a sideline. That is a total sideline, but we got to do that <laughs> podcast, man. That'll be great. Yeah, that, that'll be a good one. Well, and, and for anybody, just a little note for anybody that's listening that doesn't know, uh, right now we have a poll going on for the members of the oh, Dark yeah. Art Society on Patreon for what episode will be on Valentine's Day next week, and they have five choices. So anyway, if you if you want to be a part of that, feel free to join the Patreon if you're not already, and you can get get in. Yeah, on you could join. You could join just for a buck, and you get all that. You, you can still do the um, the poll, the polls, and see mo- you know most of the. You could see pretty much everything except what do you do? Do you get the pre roll or pre roll is a higher? The pre roll is for five, and then everything else is for a dollar. Like the screen grabs and. Yeah, all all the basic daily posts are all, you know, just all the stuff just posting every day is all just for a buck and up. But yeah, yeah, some of the higher perks are a little bit more, but they're worth it. We did a pre-roll today that you all could listen to us (laughs) goofing around before the before this started. Yeah, we're going to run into trouble with that eventually, I have a feeling. You think so, huh? Yeah, we're going to say something I regret, I'm sure. Once once we start getting used to it, you know, once we start getting used to the fact that it's just recording and we're not thinking about it. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, so maybe, far, maybe. You've done, I, you're, you're, you have a lot of discretion. You're pretty just discretionary individual. Because yeah. I have a lot of fear. Fear <laughs> of getting caught. Anyway. I, I mean, th- th- that's, I, I, again, the Patreon thing, since we're on the topic of experimentation, mm-hmm. uh, it really is all about and the dark art society, just like you're saying, it's all about coming up with new ideas, trying things, you know, yep. even, you know, even the, the, that's the thing about, uh, some of them don't work. That's one thing about experiments that you, you, you need to consider is you, you, sometimes you experiment and it doesn't work, but that still leads you to another thing that leads you to mm-hmm. another thing that eventually yep. works. Like the conjoined show is a perfect example. I experimented with at least a couple other curating, a couple other shows that were, you know, we talked about it before. There are good shows, but they bombed sales wise enough mm-hmm. to where the gallery didn't want to do them again. Cause they can't afford right. to do shows that don't make anything. And, you know, but that I kept, we kept trying things, you know, and, and uh, I kept trying to curate shows and then eventually we got to conjoin, which is the most successful 
show I could ever, it'll probably be the most successful thing I'll ever curate. And, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. you know, so you have to be willing to, you know, when you experiment, you got to be willing to make crap too. Cause I've made bad paintings, experimenting bad, bad, but you know, it, it, it all, it all counts and it all adds up in the long run. If you stick with it and you, you know, you just have to be, you have to, you have to be resilient in this art game. You have to really keep moving forward, even when things suck. And even when you're broke and even when you don't have any ideas, you just have to keep moving forward, you know, and and, it kind of takes an intrepid spirit, you know, somebody who's, you know, willing to go out and do a little exploring, you know, and some, some adventuring, you know, and it's adventuring doesn't necessarily mean lots of fun. There's fun amidst the adventure often, but there's a lot of, a lot of other stuff that goes on with an adventure. Exactly. It's like artists are always getting uh, uh, kind of looked down upon and, and liberals as, you know, wimpy and sensitive. And that's total bullshit because most of the artists I know are doing, are working, busting their asses, taking crazy risks, you know, and putting themselves out there emotionally through their artwork. That's all really, you have to be you know, brave. You have to have courage to do that. It's just, yep. it's just a bunch of bullshit. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. It does take a lot of courage. Sensitivity, you know? you know, being sensitive and and being willing to try new things, which is the nature of experiment. Being experimental is takes guts. You know, it takes courage. So, fuck all those people that say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what he said. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> Well, you know, now that we're doing this pre-roll, it's hard to judge how long the podcast has gone on because we're at 56 minutes. How long did we talk on the pre-roll, you think? Uh, less than 10 minutes, for sure. So we're probably at about... So we should probably, you know, I mean, we could, I could, we could talk about experimentation for probably another 10 minutes and we'll be, I think we'll probably be... Yeah, I mean, I don't want to, I kind of prefer when the conversation goes naturally i feel like we have to keep well, yeah me too coming Why? back to i don't know i'm feeling like i need to keep coming back to experimentation when i feel like i've sort of i can't think of anything else to say about it really. <laughs> well, we don't have to come back to anything I, I we can end the conversation whenever it naturally ends you're just trying to adjust to this new pre-roll thing i guess the best way to do it is when you do your clap to just look up at what time it is. Right. And since you don't have a photographic memory, write it down on the pad next to you and then you'll know, or like look and say, Oh, okay. 13 minutes have passed. And then right. you'll know that when we get to an hour and 13 minutes, then we've done an hour long podcast. Mm-hmm. So oh, I got something to say about experimentation. You? you know, yes. My frames came from experimentation, which are my, signature thing yeah, that I do signature things. Sure. Um, I did that one year I had a show and I did oval canvases and I had frames that were regular square frames with an oval shape cut out. They call them spandrels, which I had to figure out <laughs> what the hell spandrels. It, I think that's what they're called. Who came up with that? Name? Is that like, it must be foreign or something. I, yeah. That's like a, a weird foreign one. word, you know, cause yeah. But these spandrels had these blank spots on them, you know, because we're just a perfect spot to put a little resin piece. That's cool. Yeah, and they were wooden frames. They had a, like a wood grain uh, feeling. They were brown and, and wooden. I love those. I remember them from that series. Oh, thanks. They're so cool. And then I just painted these little, I made these little flat uh, 
gas masks with wings, I think, or bat wings, mm-hmm. yeah. like the early, yeah. early version. And I just glued them on. And, and uh, that was one experiment that worked because people loved it. You know, I wouldn't have, I would not have come to creating um, custom frames without the experimental spirit. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also, I think that, you know, you you had that fostered in you as a result of your occupation for many years, which was working in the film industry mm-hmm. and working in, I imagine, I mean, and again, this is just me imagining, but I'm sure that working in an effects industry where you're trying to come up with solutions to visual problems right. in, in a practical manner, that requires incredible experimentation because you don't know how you may, I mean, a lot of what effects people are doing, sometimes it's the first time it's ever been done right and how does that happen well from trying shit like well i wonder if i do this this and this with this if that'll work and everybody else kind of chimes in and then y'all try something and maybe it works maybe it doesn't maybe it partly works you know and so i think that again you had kind of a foothold in that because i watched you again for this dystopia show out there you know hustling bustling about solving problems on the fly and a lot of that comes i think from you having gone through that that you know team spirit kind of experimentation of how do we solve these problems for these clients in order to make this money, you know, right. to get this gig, to land this bid, so on and so forth. Well, that's, you know, that's a good point. I never really thought about, but there, you know, it, there's, I remember back when I was working on films, there was usually, unless it was something that was very cut and dry, that's been done a million times. There was usually a little period of R and D, you know, just experimenting with different ideas to try to do something better. And a lot of that comes from Dick Smith, who's the, the, the godfather of modern makeup effects. You know, he started, he was doing prosthetic work in the fifties and sixties and, and started perfecting all of these techniques in the seventies and eighties. And he was always experimenting. That was his thing. He was like, he had a little lab, like a little mad scientist lab, and he was always trying to make things better. And you know who else is like that? It's Kazu. Mm -hmm. Kazu is always experimenting, trying to find better ways. Even though his stuff is already amazing, he could just quit right now and keep doing everything the way he's doing and they'd be amazing. But he's just not like that. He always tries to try something to do something better which is so cool like like he's three like now he's got 3d printers and he's 3d printing his jacket molds that he pours silicone into over a sculpture rather than ah. you know laying it up with fiberglass he's like print, yeah. 3d printing them so they're already done it's really cool that's cool but yeah i i mean in a way it's even redundant to talk about experimentation in art in a way because Art is by by nature, (laughs) art is kind of experimental by nature. I guess if, at least if you're doing good art, I suppose there's, there's artists out there that just paint the same thing over and over and there's no experimentation involved, but. Well, I I think especially in the dark. Yeah, yeah right. but I think especially in the dark art movement, the, the level of experimentation, because people are utilizing subject material that is from within, that is from these darker places that are maybe uncomfortable for them to even address right. for themselves, let alone exposed to other people. I think the dark art movement is more than ever kind of dealing with experimentation, even 
if nothing else in the subject matter, you know, because people are having to experiment with how far am I going to go? You know, how much am I going to show? How, how far, how deep am I going to go within myself to dig up the next painting or the next sculpture? You know what I mean? Like, because there's this intimate connection between utilizing this material that exists within us and utilizing art as a purge valve for all of this kind of material that exists within us, you know, right. as, a, as a conduit for that. And so again, you know, I think there's a lot of experiment that goes on you know in all art but certainly in dark art yeah and also the fact that it's kind of a newer art form it's not because it goes way back to you know creepy bosch paintings and uh, goya and you know people have been doing dark art forever but really but it hasn't been like a mainstream art form really or a mainstream movement really to the point where it's maybe uh you know, like uh, 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 impressionism, maybe got, got so popular. It's just it's it's all been done. It's not like if you're going to be an impressionist, you can really, you know, experiment. I guess you right. could, but I mean, as far as moving the whole thing forward, our our right. our thing is kind of new. So it just you know we're we're figuring it out as we go. And, and yep. it's, you know, really, it's just starting. Um, I feel like it's just starting, really, as far as a mass movement. Yeah, it's totally great. And so, yeah. Sure. And so that's, that's you know, the, the essence of experimentation is feeling your way around and figuring mm -hmm. out what you're doing and trying new things. So that's, I mean, that's one of the most exciting aspects of it, aside from the fact that it's dark and creepy and we love dark yeah, and creepy yeah. things. It's also, you know, it's all about something doing something new that's never been done before. You know, it's, that's always the most exciting thing, you know? Well, and, and I think that, you know, even for, for me to take it a step further, cause we haven't really talked about this yet, but like filmmaking is an incredible endeavor and experimentation, you know, especially if you're producing something on your own, because it's like, even in the editing process, you know, when you and I were going through and trying to figure out how are we going to orient this story that's in these many hours of footage for, I like to paint monsters into a sequence that makes sense. You, the only way to do it is to try it. You know, right. you take one clip, you take another clip and you lay them together and you listen to it and you look at it and does it work or doesn't it work? It's just every single cut is an experiment. Yeah. You have these ideas about it. Well, maybe, but the thing is, that's the nature of an experiment, which is that you have some kind of a hypothesis and you're like, hmm, I'm going to test this hypothesis, right? right? And so by testing that hypothesis, you find out your, your results and you're able to then draw a conclusion and say, well, yeah, that worked or no, that didn't work at all. Right. And so, you know, even something to the effect of like, I shot all the, those stop action scenes because I desperately wanted to have stop action in my documentary. Why? There was some because <laughs> I've always wanted to see stop action in a documentary, right? right? Like I've always felt like, why is it that no one does stop action in a documentary? I mean, stop action's cool. It tells a story. Daniel it Johnson a did it. Role. In, the was Dan that? in the Daniel Johnson, they did it. And Daniel yeah, absolutely, they did, and it, and it made me so happy. And yeah. that's why one of that was one of my favorite documentaries ever was because for that very reason, because they went out of their way to do something like that. Right. You know, it's storytelling in a very different kind of fashion. But you're right. You know, in the process of experimenting with the stop action for the documentary, I had some that were amazing, and I nailed it. And I had yeah. some that were absolute cutting, <laughs> cutting floor 
room material, you know? Like, you know, yeah, like the little, the, the boat. little boat, you know, the little animated boat. That's a little, that's a little thing is, we have between, between us. A little it's so joke. awesome. It's so awesome because, like, I, I, you know, I put just as much energy into that little animation with the boat as I did into the haunting scene, as I did into the tarot scene, as I did into the makeup scene. You know, same amount of energy, and it was absolutely just garbage. You know, it like wasn't going to work, but until I tried it, who knows? Yeah. You know, it's just an idea in my head. And so if I did four things and one of them didn't work, well, then, you know, shit, 75% success is pretty good for experimentation, I'd say. Right. You know what I mean? And so, yeah, it's, you know, it's a cool thing. But I guess the point that I'm making is no matter what medium you're working in, no matter what style or genre, whether it is dark art or not dark art, you know, there is always that room for that kind of intrepid spirit and that kind of adventurer mentality and saying, you know, I'm going to try this. And, you know, you balance your, your, your cost benefit rate ratio in your mind. This is how mm -hmm. much energy, this is the potential I'm going to get, but it's always a gamble. You're rolling the dice. Mm -hmm. So, you know, once you've made your decision to whatever degree, you just have to stride forward confidently because you've already rolled the dice, you yeah. know, and that's what experimentation all is all about is giving it all you got. And then if it doesn't work, dropping it and moving on to something else. And if it does work, keep, keep experimenting with it. Yeah. You know, that reminds me that most of my favorite bands are really experimental. Now that I think about it, like Devo, No Means No, Rush, uh, even The Who, if you look at their career, I'm a big Who fan, you know, they experimented a lot with, there's a really good documentary about The Who that came out a couple of years ago. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but it's really good. But they talk about all the, you know, the rock operas and all that stuff. And Pete Townsend was pretty amazing. But, the, you know, you look at, you compare that to a band like Devo, and you say, okay, all, all art is about experimentation. But, you know, then you look at a band like ACDC, which is a band I love, and they're not experimental at all. It's like they've got kind of like they're just doing this rock and formula thing, and then they just do variations of it. But then you got, you know, bands like Devo or No Means No, who's doing 12-minute songs for a punk band is really weird and incorporating mm -hmm. jazz drums and, and, and uh you know, playing a bass through a Marshall guitar cabinet. And, you know, it's, it's, it's Camper Van Beethoven is another band I love. that's totally psychedelic and experimental. You know, it's really, um, uh, really important in the music. I, I like to listen to, you know, the stuff I tool, you know, talk about experimental. Mm -hmm. Another well, that's band. why I like Radiohead too, because yeah, Radiohead. Totally. I mean, there's not an album that comes out that isn't a completely or, different experiment in music, or, you know. Yeah, or Beck, you know. Yeah, Beck's Beck. a good example as well. That's why you know these people get. I, there was like a thing people hating on Radiohead for a while. I'm like, Radiohead's fucking amazing. Even if mm -hmm. you aren't into them, they're amazing. You know, amazing yep. band. Same with Beck, even though he's a Scientologist, he's amazing. <laughs> he's. A, I didn't know he was a Scientologist. You didn't know that. Yeah, no, I don't. He was I don't, raised I, in I, it. I don't keep up on any of this kind of stuff. I'm not. I'm not hip to the what's going on in the world. <laughs> yeah, he's, he was. He was raised in it, and he never Interesting. never comments on it because you know they can't. Or they'll get. They'll get a. Uh, all their well, I mean, secrets. Somebody, revealed. somebody, somebody knows that he. It, I mean, yeah, we you know. So, oh well, yeah, no, people know, but he never. He won't comment on all the abuses in the Church of Scientology or anything like that. He just kind of keeps his mouth shut about it which is weird but they mm. you know they they teach you in scientology that you can't read any news 
articles about Scientology, anything. You're not allowed to even look at it or go on the internet. And if you do, they'll catch you when you do your 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 reading, your e-meter reading. You have to admit all your dirty little secrets, and then they hold it's it against you. It's kind of incredible. You. It's kind of incredible to me how much you know about this. I've seen that you know that Going Clear documentary, and the, yeah, I watched that too. The Leah Remini show is really in depth about hmm. all those survivors. Yeah, I love cult stuff. is really fascinating. Oh yeah, me, me too. I love cults the way you love serial killers. You know, <laughs> I used to be so wrong the way you just said that. Like. I used to be really interested. I am. In, I, I am interested in ser- serial he doesn't, killers. Let me just say, he I doesn't to- really love cults and I don't really love serial killers. <laughs> we are both incredibly fascinated right, by. Right. Yeah, yeah. Respect. You know what I meant. You know what I meant. <laughs> I, I, cults are fascinating to me. No, it fascinates me, too. Every cult show that, you know, you've ever watched, you've told me to watch and I've watched and found fascinating. It is fascinating. It's yeah. totally and it's it really is an academic fascination. Fascination, which is that it's fascinating to to try to understand, you know, what motivates people to engage in these kinds of behaviors, right. basically, so, whether yeah, that's to engage in a cultish kind of activity or it's to engage in a murdering activity or right. it's to engage in anything that's taboo. It's fascinating for people that are not doing that because it's like, I just can't imagine what would make someone do that. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. So it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. Well, that, that's a tangent, but who cares? Yeah. Hey, it's all about the tangents. I think some of our best hey, stuff comes. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Experimentation on the experimentation episode. Well, you know, I'll say I did one more thing about experimentation. I just did an experiment today. I'd never used eBay before. And when this episode's up, it'll still be there. And and furthermore, it's a weird thing that I did, which is that I put up, <laughs> put up a painting for sale that I painted when I was 15 years old. It's a self-portrait. It's pretty and funny. There's only two self-portraits I've ever done. It's this acrylic self-portrait. It's like 12 by 18. And I did it in 1995. It's pretty good. I, I think it's pretty good for your age. Uh, you know, I think it's pretty, well, that's, pretty good. That's nice you. of you to say. I appreciate it's true. that. It's true. It's just, it's more just like, you know, I, I it would be fun if someone wanted that, you know, right. cause it's like, I've been toting it around for how long now? I mean, really, right. If I was 15, so what, <laughs> like 20 years, no, 23 years, you know? And it's like, and, and it's just kind of a, it's, it's a weird little relic. It's a rarity and it's one of those weird items. So I've never used eBay, eBay, eBay. I've never <laughs> used eBay. I've never sold a painting that I painted when I was 15. Um, but you know, why not? So if you want to bid on it, it's, there's an auction. It'll end tomorrow as of the day that this airs. So it'd be super cool too. That's my anyway. experimentation. It's my experimentation, one of them for the day. Try I'm experimenting it. right now as we sit here and talk. You see this that wire wrap I was working on yeah, at the beginning? That's cool. And this amazing piece of of crystal that I have that's all ruliated and stuff. And I'm wrapping this around it. I like it. it. Looks very pretty. Thanks. Well, let's wrap this shit up. Yeah, anybody who's not following us again, little paid programming here, head over and uh, check out this Dark Art Society Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Dark Art Society. Again, we're just rallying the troops. We've got 56 members as of right now. Love to have some more people on board. You can start as low as $1 a month, all the way up to $50 a month, but don't feel like you have to. But if you can, by all means, it's helping us to keep this podcast free for everyone and also helping us build the Dark Art Society website, which we will unveil once we have enough money a month to do do it so yep. thanks everybody for listening and even if you're not on the patreon we love you anyway share us you know on social media as you do like and comment review us on itunes all of that kind of stuff is incredibly helpful that's what's gotten us where we're at right now as a as a community so yes 
Don't we need to read out something? Read we do. Out? We need to read out. I have the whole thing here. Yeah, we got to read out. Part of our Patreon supporters. Part of the deal, yeah. For people who've have donated, get their names read out on the show, like um, Romper Room. Yeah, all new, all new members, and then so this will be the first what uh, fifty-eight. So <clears throat> you hold up your magic mirror. I can see. Didn't you see what? Did you watch Romper Room? When you were a kid. No. Oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> the lady would go, the lady would go, I see. She'd hold up her magic mirror, which was just like, you know, an empty mirror. And she'd be like, I see Chet. I see Mike. She all the kids <laughs> that wrote into the show. Uh, so there's okay. going to be some old bastards out there listening like Very me that, that are going to go, yeah, romper room. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, good for all y'all. I don't know. <laughs> I get the reference mildly now. So the dark art society production team, first of all, is Chet Zar, Mike Carell, Josh Kaiser, and Brian Kilgore. We're the, the four that have been producing all of this stuff so far. Um, but we've got our members here now in order of the uh, yeah. membership. We've got uh, Lisa Zar, Joy Carell, April Dickerson, Chris Hackard, Thomas McGilvray. Um, and if I mess these up, I apologize. I'm going to do my best. April, Carrie Dickerson, Nagy. April Dickerson's technically the first one. Yeah. A, uh, <laughs> Carrie Nagy, Jason Farmer, Eric Tengren, Mike Doherty, Darren Wood, Andrew and Deborah Hawkins, Bobby Ford, Osgood Art, David Stupakis, Miklos... Aja Mian, doing the best I can, Josh Clark, <laughs> Jeff Collier, Toby Gerlick, Miss City, Shane Izakowski, Ruben Martinez, William Elrod, Lee Shamel. Hey, look, I spelled it wrong. Wait, let's try oh. that one again. I know his name, but I spelled it wrong. <laughs> Alexander Robertson, Jason Rosen. Oh, this is going to be a hard one. Zemsla Bielecki. I hope so. Hey. Zemsla Bielecki. Okay. Uh, Jace Daniels, Jay Ferguson, Lisa Savingo, Chad Harrion, Brandon Watson, Lisa Savingos. Did I not say it with plural? Yeah. Lisa Savingos. I, I would never say Lisa's name wrong. I interact with Lisa on a daily basis. <laughs> Chad Harrion, Brandon Watson, Dante Penman, Tom Baxa, Jay Cromwell, Karen Welch, Richard Ray Ingersoll, Carol Barnes, Christy Fouts, Autumn Duras. Time Essery, Marnie Pitts, Victoria Supan, Mike Boston, Alyssa Rosales, James Richardson, Steve Budko, Michael Miller, Bryson Alstrom, Ronnie Demetrio, Jay Brainerd, Alan Smith, Kim Myatt, Max Fenrir, Samantha Leopold Sullivan, Amanda Foss, Q Vargas, Michael Stouffer, and Trevor Ryder. So those are the first members of the dark art society listed in, in order of their pledge, which is their membership number. Yes. You keep leaning in like something, something is <laughs> about to happen. What was Vargas? Cause I, I think I might've stepped in your line and Kidu Vargas. Okay. Sorry. Uh, oh, it's fine. Thank you all. So, you did a good job. Uh, Mike. Recognize guys, we're That's not going to read every single member at the end of every single episode. We will only be reading these off at the end of the first episode following your membership. So once you're a member next episode, say we got 25 more members, I'll read those 25 names. So it won't be like every episode becomes longer and longer with this basket <laughs> case of names. At the end. But uh, we just want to put props out to those people because they were the early birds that got on board right away to really help us get this thing jump started. And, you know, we're, we're, gosh, we're just shy of the 50% mark of our first goals. So it's happening quickly and we just uh, hope more yeah. people want to get on board. 
help us push this thing to that 100% mark for that first goal so we can get that website finalized and, and we will move to the next goal for the dark art community. Yes. Thank you for supporting. It's amazing. And this is, yeah, this is, this is the game changer and you guys are making it happen. This is going to be big, I believe. So, uh, you, you, you folks who came in early are really the ones that are making this happen right now, you yep. know? Yep. Exactly. So otherwise we'd just be two knuckleheads and no one would be <laughs> listening to us and we'd just be bullshitting and nothing would happen. what we do anyway. So, yeah, <laughs> but because of you, of all this. <laughs> because of you, it's turning into something worthwhile instead of just, you know, just a couple of knuckleheads. When you say that, every time you see that, I see these like images in my head of these knucklehead creatures, and one of them is bearded and has kind of I brown gotta, hair. One of them has blonde long hair. I gotta do a knucklehead. That's a great title for a painting I haven't done yet. Knucklehead. Okay. I think you should do knuckleheads, and it should be you and me, and yeah. each one of us should do one of the knuckles <laughs> on this head, and it's like a two-headed thing. It's like a Siamese knuckleheaded, like two-headed being, and one of them's this knuckle that's Chet face, and one of them's like a knuckle Mike face. It's uh, this knuckle creepy head maybe maybe i'm seeing i'm seeing i know you'll never i'm seeing knuckles forming these faces that don't even look like faces knucklehead i was picturing several one of them had a brown beard with brown (laughs) hair (laughs) we're probably seeing the same thing seeing as i saw your painting pipe dream in a dream when i was a kid that's true and it's the name of the painting has the word dream in it how weird is that that's true. I, just, I never thought of that. Thought of just now. How weird is that? Okay. okay. Well, anyway, Sayonara. <laughs> Catch you guys all next Wednesday. For Sayonara. The next of the Dark Art Society podcast. Thank you again for listening. Thank you, everybody. You guys are the best. See you later. Peace.